I think it's important when we're thinking about marketing that it isn't just about revenue. There is actually a lot of other things that go into this mix that provide long-term value. There's a bunch of other goals that we need to bear in mind, and therefore we need to think about attribution far more holistically. One of the biggest things that I and my students and my clients struggle with when it comes to video marketing is making decisions about how to effectively measure the success of what we're doing with video. And the reality is, is that the traditional ways of measuring success in marketing, they just don't work anymore. Those models are broken. And in today's episode of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, my guest and I are going to break this down in a lot more detail for you. So keep listening. This is the Engage Video Marketing Podcast, helping you engage your ideal audience to action through online video. I'll be bringing you the absolute best in the world of video marketing, content creation, storytelling, and marketing strategy, as together we grow to dominate online video and build profitable businesses. I'm your host, Ben Amos. Now let's get on with the show. G'day and welcome back to the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Amos from Engage Video Marketing, and I'm here to help you engage your ideal audience to action through effective online video strategy. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to dive deep into the strategy behind good video marketing with a guest who really has been leading the way in strategic video marketing for many, many years. In fact, my guest today was one of the first video strategists that I ever came across, probably seven, eight years ago, and someone who I have a lot of respect for, but I'll share more about who our guest is very, very soon. Because before we get into the show today, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Engage Video Marketing Academy. The Academy is my way to come alongside you to teach you how to increase your reach, maximize your impact, and grow your business with strategic online video. So if you're a business owner, you're a marketer, you're a content creator out there, and you feel that you're wasting time and fumbling around with online video for your business, and you want to start seeing real results, you know, results like more customers, more clients, more leads, more inquiries, then the Engage Video Marketing Academy is for you. Right now, we're currently enrolling some founding members to the community, and you can get in right now at the lowest ever price. To find out more, head on over to engagevideomarketingacademy.com or just email me, ben at engagevideomarketing.com with any questions that you have to see whether or not the Academy is the right fit for you. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. All right, so my guest today is Phil Nottingham. Phil works as the Director of Brand Strategy at the marketing software company Wistia. You're probably familiar with Wistia as I've talked about it multiple times before on this show. Now, Phil's a marketing strategist who specializes in media transformation and regularly speaks around the world about video strategy, brand marketing, and search engine optimization. He's an expert in the use of video and creative content to build lasting brands. He's consulted on video strategy for both large and small brands, including Red Bull, The Financial Times, Travelex, Tesco, Little, and ThoughtWorks. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how the traditional methods of measuring video attribution or measuring the success of videos 
in your marketing strategy is potentially broken and the way that most businesses are approaching it just doesn't work anymore. We're going to dive deep into some aspects of how we really need to be looking at video marketing today and particularly how we can determine the success of our video marketing so that it drives future video marketing engagements. And of course, we are going to break down that 110-100 experiment that Wistia conducted. And Phil's going to share with us exactly why they did this experiment in the first place and what they learned from it and what we can learn from it as video marketers for our own video strategy. All right, so that's enough from me. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode with Phil Nottingham from Wistia. Phil Nottingham, welcome to the show. Very happy to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, oh, I'm excited to have you here because, as I mentioned before we hit record, I first came across some of the some of the work that you were doing in the world of video strategy a number of years ago. Could even be five, six years ago. I'm not sure exactly how long. Um, when you were working then with a company called Distilled, based in London, you've since moved over to Wistia, and I think listeners to this show probably have heard of Wistia as a as a video platform. Um, but we can dive into that a bit further. But for those that haven't heard of you before or don't really understand what you do and what you talk about, can you fill us in on your story? Yeah, it's a good question. Often I don't understand what I do or what, I, what I'm talking about either, so I wouldn't okay. blame anyone else. Um, sure. So my my story. So I, um, I'm originally from, from the world of theatre. So I actually studied uh, theatre directing at university and, and worked in that world for a few years. Um, doing, you know, I was a stuntman for a bit, lighting and sound, doing kind of all the odd jobs around uh, sort of technical theatre and strategic production, and then ended up kind of running our money, as often happens in that sort of industry, um, and took a job with a, a company that was doing some technology behind um, satellite television. This was sort of back in the day before uh, streaming was commonplace way of watching TV. It was dealing with how do we kind of uh, build with technology that's utilizing satellite and a little bit of internet stuff and, and kind of working through the myriad of complex ways we could deliver um, TV to people's TVs, basically. So I learned kind of really a lot on the technical side of video delivery and, and compression and all that sort of like you know, stuff about um, media formats and encapsulated files and all that kind of stuff. So I've got really deep knowledge on that one. And then from there, I ended up moving to Distilled, where I kind of, I guess, trained up um, it was almost like an apprentice sort of marketing strategist there and ended up working for, for a number of years there and then realized, well, hold on a minute, I've got um, three different skills here that make me kind of a unique skill set in that I understand the production side of, of film and, and TV. <clears throat> I understand the technical side of film and TV delivery and now I understand the marketing side of how you, how businesses need to kind of think about using content and creative effectively. So I just sort of combined the three um, and then ended up writing and talking about that a lot and uh, and then move over to um, to Wistia in 2015. I've kind of been been there and doing some other things um, ever since. And um, yeah, so I've then kind of been now moved on to the software side, working at how to, to build the software to, um, to serve the needs of marketers in the world of video and kind of working to build the strategy that um, supports that software essentially and, and uh, evangelizing that and helping Wistia do their own video marketing. So yeah, that's, that's my story. Awesome. Great. So you would have seen this thing called video marketing change a lot over the years, but I guess there's still yeah. some fundamentals that haven't changed, right? But when sure. it comes to video marketing today in 2020, where do you think most people are struggling or getting it wrong? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the the way I'm thinking about this um, most of the moment, there's probably a few things I want to say on this. The way I'm thinking about most of the moment is I think that there's two different categories of mistake made by two different kinds of companies. So um, there's your sort of established big brands who have who are probably you know most familiar with video through the lens of TV advertising, and that was how they always did. Um, any form of kind of creative was always around these hero, big hero pieces of creative advertising. What they've typically done is just taken the world of online video and just applied their old strategy and, and created a few new things to support it. They've taken their TV media strategy, applied that to the world of YouTube and, and YouTube have happily just allowed them to spend the money in the way that they've always wanted to around impressions and that kind of thing. Um, and so they, they basically just adopted what is like a TV strategy of an online platform. And the, the problem with that is that like, particularly in the world of, um, online video, just the, the number of hits you get, the number of people, the number of like little flash points you have as someone vaguely watching a tiny little snippet of your ad that you've made, uh, is worthless. And everybody's optimizing their video strategy around these hits basically. Um, in this world, we're bombarded with millions of these things each day and we're just ignoring them all. Um, and then they're reporting on this the same way they used to report on TV ads and said, oh, it's really great because we've got all these impressions and all these views and um, usually it has absolutely no connection to the, the true thing that we're trying to measure, which is you know, engagement and, and interest in our brand and our products and all that kind of thing. So I think that's one fundamental critical error um, and that stems from essentially trying to apply a TV strategy to, to this new online video world that is entirely different in terms of the way consumers consume things and in terms of the, the actual media that you're able to create and put out there. Um, and then the other mistake is on the, the side of companies that have probably grown up in uh, the last 10 to 20 years and, and adopted more of a kind of a performance marketing, digital first marketing strategy that um, for them will often be centered around conversion and they will try and you know, get people down this funnel and they'll try and have all these touch points and that kind of thing. And, and in that world, everything is often kind of measured in terms of the value it provides to the bottom line. So that everything is just like full funnel measurement. Can we do attribution modeling for revenue? Can we like justify the value that we're getting from all the, the content that we're doing in terms of ultimately what's providing the bottom line? And the problem with that is that, again, video, particularly in most cases, certainly on social media and, and most of the platforms we consume it, is often like a, a play that provides value in terms of brand and in terms of um, engagement and all these kind of other very important things in terms of actually building your overall um, marketing efficacy, um, but really is untrackable in terms of revenue. So if you try and track it in terms of that um, assisted conversions or something similar, you end up just treating every video like a sales tool. And then you end up just making very heavy sales, heavy product videos that aren't very good. And then you don't think it's working. And then you basically start abandoning video. So those are the two major mistakes I think um, companies are making. And, and you see a trend one way or the other, dependent on what kind of business it is that has... Uh, has kind of started out trying to make video. Yeah, I, I really find that interesting because I think, well, for me, I, I get the the idea of that first mistake that people are making of applying broadcast strategies to, or traditional strategies to effectively digital, the digital world, right? Um, where what you're measuring is views, what you're measuring is reach engagement, I guess, but mostly you're looking at those kind of top level hits as you say right and you know for most businesses doing any sort of business 
online or in the digital space, they recognize that that doesn't actually make a difference, right? So you can get thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of views on something and it doesn't move the needle in the business. So that's a problem, right? But then the other side there, the other problem that you were talking about around looking at, at marketing as moving people through a funnel based on and measuring that conversion. Um, I'm interested to just unpack that a little bit further because that is what's typically known to be good digital marketing strategy, right? So, so where, where's the problem there? Is it, is it what we're measuring or how we're determining success? Uh, yeah, so I think it used to be good digital marketing strategy, but I think that we're increasingly seeing that that's breaking and a lot of companies are now realizing that you can't do that full funnel attribution. There's a few reasons for this. One is around um, just like general trend towards more privacy and data control. So GDPR, um, more encryption, like uh, the attitude of Apple, a bunch of other companies and, and things so that consumers now um, are not always cookie. They're not always giving you their information. You, and you just can't track it. The way in which we had this promise a few years ago that we'll get to this, we'll be able to attract people all the way through their engagements, and you just can't. Um, and the trend is away from that, not towards it. So if you try and do this full funnel measurement, you end up just the, the numbers that you get are not reflective of reality. Um, uh, again, with that, also there's there's this trend towards more um, conversations happening in walled gardens. So we call this like mm -hmm. dark social. So uh, WhatsApp, Slack, Slack is a huge, particularly in the B two B world, game changer. Like huge numbers of conversations are happening on Slack. As marketers, you have no knowledge of them. You'll never see them. You don't know what's going on. You can't measure that. And yet, so many of those conversations will be about recommending products, recommending services, and to you, that will just come and look like a kind of direct. Um, just a direct conversion. So how on earth do you kind of quantify the value of uh, your investment when you're just trying to kind of measure that and you're missing out all the middle middleman? So for example, if somebody watches a video and you know it's a, like a product video and it has a, like a good impression on that particular person, they then later uh, are in a Slack conversation with someone and they say, oh yeah, actually I saw this, this thing the other day that was recommending a product that might exactly serve that need that you're looking for. As a marketer, you have simply no means of tracking that and you don't know that existed. So what you actually end up tracking is you'll just say that this video contributed nothing towards this eventual conversion. Um, so it would be nice if, if we lived in a world of being able to do that, but we can't. Um, and so we need to find sensible proxies that represent what we're really trying to achieve with all of the marketing that we're creating. And for video, that's usually around... Uh, engagement. It may be at some point like on a, a video on a product page, it might be specifically like about trying to get people to click the add to cart button, in which case you can just measure the, uh, the conversion rate on that page and split test and then see whether that's working. But if you are doing more um, kind of holistic video marketing, you're going to want to measure things like uh, you know, time spent, <laughs> engaged views, the, the actual like levels of engagement with the content, because that's the thing that's going to be uh, ultimately contributing to word of mouth and to uh, the conversations that everyone's having that's ultimately driving uh, preference that's going to end up driving sales. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. There's a lot to unpack there. And I, if I'm hearing you correctly, really the issue is coming from, from attribution. It's coming from the old method of trying to measure different or ratios of attribution, I guess, through different stages of the funnel. And there's so many possibilities and ways that it can't be measured correctly at different stages, right? That, that's true. But it's also, it's also about kind of like um, 
like uh, actually measuring the right thing. So for example, mm. if we think about um, revenue as, let's take a little soccer analogy. So if we think about revenue as like goals, um, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to get more, more money in the bank. Um, and to win a football game, you need to score the most goals. But in order to score the most goals, you also need to sort of uh, defend and you need to prevent the other team having the most goals. So a defender or a goalkeeper, now you can partially measure them based on how many goals they assist with or how many they score. There's also this whole other stream of, of aspects of the game that are very important to play and that you want to judge them on. And if you're only tracking attribution modeling based on revenue and conversion, then your attribution model is going to only judge a defender based on their assists of the goals rather than actually their ability to stop a shot or their ability to make a tackle, all the other things that are important. So I think it's important when we're thinking about marketing that it isn't just about revenue. There is actually a lot of other things that go into this mix that provide long-term value. And while it is, of course, a business goal to get the most revenue at the highest profit margin, all that kind of other thing, there's a bunch of other goals that we need to bear in mind. And therefore, we need to think about attribution far more holistically. And that might mean coming up with some really smart convoluted compound metric that brings in elements of all the different things you're trying to track. Um, but it might, I think in most cases, just mean setting up more sensible proxies that are directly uh, closer to the um, to, to the value that you're trying to get from that specific piece of content rather than just trying to attribution uh, attribute everything towards revenue and conversion in that sense. Yeah, okay, got it. So it's really about understanding the metrics that matter for a particular piece of content, right? And that is going to be different based on the strategic role of that piece of content within your your wider video strategy and marketing strategy in general. Is that that basically it? Yeah. That's certainly my view. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I 100% agree as well. I love that. And the way you've broken that down, it, the idea of that, um, the football or soccer analogy, the idea of, you know, if you're just measuring who kicks the most goals or the piece of video that's kicking the most goals and the rest of the pieces of video in the playing field, I guess, are not getting any value attributed to them. So that potentially you're going to stop doing them and then that'll stop those goal kickers actually scoring goals. I think I've Precisely, got your analogy yeah, right. Yeah, yeah it's exactly, <laughs> okay. exactly right, yeah. Okay, it's like cool. you get what you measure. Lovely. You always get what you measure and you've got to measure the right things. Okay, so I mean in a business sense then, so – if you're measuring so many different things, if you're spending so much time looking at the the different metrics for different pieces of video content, does it become just really complicated or in actually determining if what you're doing in one particular area is successful? So do you just have to kind of hope or believe that that's working? Um, or, you know, how do you actually plan out a full video strategy that you kind of know what's working where? Well, I think it starts with understanding kind of what the what the gaps are in the business and what the business needs to grow. So if you um, and then understanding where video can support those particular business goals. So obviously, video is just a it's ultimately just a media type. It's a means of being creative. Um, it has lots of virtues in terms of the way in which it can uh, you know demonstrate personality and engage and all that kind of thing. But um, it, it's not always the right format for every situation. So if you have a business that has a really nice website, but people are just bouncing away and not really converting, then you want to make some videos on those product pages and you want to make sure that people are sticking on them and moving to that next stage in the funnel. Uh, if you have a good business that's functioning, but you're just being 
outcompeted by bigger competitors, you've got to do some good brand marketing. And that's ultimately going to mean doing some content that's really measured based on how much time people are spending with it. So really doing kind of probably some longer form stuff, some genuine entertainment and trying to build your brand that way. Um, maybe you just are doing like a big product launch and you just need sort of to try and make people aware of a big change. Then you're going to start quantifying it based on, um, yeah, uh, click throughs or, uh, the number of kind of views over 50% or something, if it's like a short ad. So yeah, it's all about working out the, the particulars. So you start with the strategy, you start working out what you need to create. You then work out how you would reasonably measure that success. And then you create the content to match the metric and the, the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So effectively what you're doing is, is focusing less on the actual creation of videos because good marketing is using videos these days, right? And focusing more on the business and what, what do you need to change? What's going to move the needle in which area of the business and then work out basically how to create the right strategic content and how to yeah. measure the right metrics for that particular goal at any given stage within, within the funnel, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and cool. I think, um, yeah, what I notice is there's uh, too frequently, I'll see a, a company that spent a fortune on great production and they'll make something really glossy that just doesn't resonate. And it's because they've not got their creative strategy, right? They've not got the business strategy, or they've not got the kind of video strategy, the underlying reason why they're creating something and, and who it's for correct. And therefore they've, they've sort of not done the groundwork to make sure their content's actually any good. The other side of that is that there's lots of companies who've got the right strategy and, and that strategy will cover up all manner of sins in terms of the quality of the production they're making. So uh, I always big believe that you need to kind of do that work pre-production. You need to do the, the groundwork to make sure you really understand who you're making it for and why they're going to care. And then you can really build for that particular uh, purpose in a much more focused and disciplined manner. Um, the, uh, yeah, so I think, I think that's kind of the, the main thing that the companies need to need to start thinking about. Um, it's not always easy and you, you know, it, it takes you a while to get it exactly right. But certainly I think, uh, doing that, that groundwork often I will be asked, um, to come in too late in the day. So I'll come into a company and they'll say, well, look, we've made this video. We want to distribute it to the right people and make sure, you know, we'll make it go viral. Now I like, if I can be crude for a second, like I can't polish a turd. Like you can't, you can't make something really fly if it's made, you know, a sense that is, it's not made for the right audience and it's not um, sufficiently targeted and, and, and clear on why anyone's going to care. And they'll always sort of come back with, well, yeah, but it, you know, it's really nicely produced and it's uh, really attractive. And these people find it funny and we think it communicates a strong message. And you'll say, well, it may do, but you, you've really failed at the first hurdle, which is getting people to, to care and have attention and you have to meet some latent demand that sits there with your target audience. Um, so you, you can't just like pay to get something in front of people, um, and hope that they're going to, they're going to love it. Just that works one time out of every million attempts and every single big brand in the world is trying to do that day by day. And they never take a step back to, to really make sure they're getting the core strategy, right? Which is a, an interesting thing to observe. Yeah. And it all starts with understanding your audience, you know, like not doing video for, for what you think the audience wants to hear, but really understanding the audience and creating the content that they actually want to engage with. I think people who have 
been listening to the Engage Video Marketing podcast or, or you know, following some of what I share for a while now would recognize how much what you're saying resonates with me because what kicked this entire video marketing journey off for me was as a video producer, producing content for content's sake without a strategy and it just failing to resonate. And then seeing it time and time again in our industry of these beautiful cinematic created pieces shot with the best cameras available and big budgets thrown at it. And it just doesn't achieve the outcome that it's actually designed to achieve. And then the business that's investing in video thinks, ah, video doesn't work. And that was, I was seeing that time and time again. And, and that's kind of, that's my big mission behind everything that I share. So awesome. Love that you shared that. I'm I think totally that, with you on all of that. Cool, cool. I think that segues nicely into I want to talk about something, I guess, an experiment that that Wistia undertook. I'm not sure exactly when it was, maybe even a couple of years ago now, time flies. Um, but it, it was called the 110-100. And maybe listeners of this podcast have, have seen the campaign, but I won't I won't spoil it for you if you haven't, but I'd love for you to explain a little bit about what you what you did in that um, experiment and why. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, this was our big campaign in uh, in 2018. So um, essentially, you know, we partnered up with um, with some friends called Sandwich Video, who are sort of big um, ad production company in LA, and they make you know a lot of the the sort of launch commercials for the apps and big sort of new uh, tech stuff, sort of quite Silicon Valley focused. Um, clientele but they do a bunch of other things and their, their ads are usually very funny they have the same a lot of the same cast in them they you know have a quite tongue-in-cheek approach and have really got a good uh, tonal approach and, and we feel that they're like quite brand-wise very aligned with us and so we wanted to to kind of work with them on a bunch of other things and, and after a few drinks we kind of discussed with with adam the, the ceo and what we could do together and the i think the the initial sort of like starting point the insight that led to this particular idea was that a lot of our sort of customers and, and uh, clients and stuff are companies who maybe don't have a huge amount of budget, but really want to do more video. And they're constantly being like, there's a mix. There's some people who are sort of saying, we just, we don't have the budget to do good video. And we want to kind of prove to them that that's not the case. And the other side is that people are kind of, as we talked about, over-investing in production when it's not actually necessarily providing value. So we thought, well, let's, let's see if we can kind of explore this in a very honest manner and show what you can do if you have the right creative talent with a very, very small production budget. Um, what you can do with the same, with the same talent, if you have a $10,000 production budget, and then, you know, how can things really elevate when you blow the lid off with a hundred thousand dollar budget? So we made these three ads for the same product, which is a new uh, Chrome extension that we just released. And they were, um, yeah, <clears throat> one was shot with an iPhone, one was shot with a Canon C300, and one with like an Aria Mira Cinecam and a full crew and everything. And they all had like a similar underlying theme so that they were kind of self-referential and had a, a the same sort of cast and crew. Um, so they were sort of comparable in some sense, but were each written separately to kind of match um, the particular budget and allow us to kind of play with some of the production elements that that um, bigger or smaller budget afforded. So it's kind of anchored around the $10,000 ad. And then the $1,000 like has some gags in it that around the fact that it's kind of a cheap ad. And the $100,000 has some gags around the fact that it's kind of a, a um, an expensive ad. And we kind of, you know, ran this experiment, put all the three ads out with similar budget, sort of just have interest sake, saw which one performed better. And it was the $10,000 ad. Um, 
probably because just the the storytelling and the the kind of creative idea best suited that particular execution. Um, but it sort of proved that you don't need necessarily huge budget to to make something. It's actually all about the creativity and the uh, the talent in execution, the people involved, rather than the, the cameras and the lights and everything else that really makes the difference between how well an ad's going to perform. Um, mm. So, you know, that was kind of interesting. And then off the back of that, we also made a documentary in the process that was like an hour and a half, um, just sort of straight up kind of documentary film about this creative process. And, um, and we launched that for our own business and uh, discovered that this particular campaign enormously increased our um, brand search and all like the amount of time people were spending with our content. And subsequently we've pivoted the entire, um, product strategy to kind of match this. And we're now really making products to, to serve longer form video content that people will want to serve on their site, essentially allowing you to like build your own Netflix and have that as like a major marketing asset. So going from just videos embedded on your website to like an actual full, full fledged sort of video, uh, streaming experience, the much like most of us are kind of used to as consumers. Um, yeah, so that was our sort of big campaign in 2018 and um, it was good fun. We won a Webby award for it and uh, yeah, it was our first foray into like longer form sort of TV quality stuff. Yeah. I'd love to just quickly dive into before you, I guess in the hypothesis stage of this experiment, would, were there any indications or did you have any idea of which of the 1,000, 10,000 or hundred thousand dollar budget, which you thought would best resonate and, and achieve result? Um, we didn't, I don't think before we saw the rushes. So when we actually had like the, when we saw production, we thought the 10 K was the best and it, and it was, um, I thought the hundred K would perform better than the, the $1,000, but they were kind of in the similar ballpark. Um, but, but yeah, we thought the 10 K was the best cause it just seemed to have the best, story. Uh, it just seemed to flow the best. And, um, I think that was a lot to do with the fact that it was the one that we kind of scripted first and the one that was sort of anchored, I suppose, around the other two. So there's a bit, a bit of kind of like, you know, it was set up such that that was probably always going to be the case, but it was, it was interesting nonetheless. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously as an experiment, there's a lot of variables there, but I think what was really interesting exactly, to me yeah. looking at the, at the, at the data, at the results, um, the $1,000 budget was, it still performed, you know, it still worked quite well. You, I mean, I think Sorry. for people listening, thinking, ah, does that mean that that $10,000 budget is the sweet spot? I think that's absolutely the wrong message to take away from yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. We've had a lot of people kind of, um, yeah, and I'm sure this is a lot of our fault for the way in which we message it, but a lot of people I think have taken away slightly the wrong messages from, from some of this sometimes in that, you know, it was, it was a one-off experiment kind of for fun to see how things happened. I've seen a few other companies have, try to do the same thing or similar things since and, and all good fun and power to them. But, um, it doesn't mean that you should only spend $10,000 on a video. Of course, the, the difference that was made is we're working with a, a, you know, very good commercial company that certainly don't do production for 10 grand. You know, you're looking at spending a couple of hundred thousand dollars to work with them. Um, and we are very lucky to have a kind of partnership. Um, so it's not like you can, you can buy the best talent. The thing that makes the difference is really good creative people using this, the tools that, that are available to them. Um, so the thing you need to focus on is like getting the right people in. And that means if you're outsourcing the right creative partner, but it does mean that you don't necessarily have to spend an absolute fortune to get something that would work. And it's not, what's not important is the cameras. It's all about the, the scripts, the people you're working yeah. with, the performers and all that stuff is the thing that's going to make a difference. 
yeah, there is no direct correlation between size of budget and size of result is the takeaway. Of course not, yeah. And we all know this, right, just from like think about all the greatest films ever made. There's a real mix of budgets in there. But it doesn't mean you should never blow, you know, 100 million on Lord of the Rings or whatever. That's still an amazing film. But so can be, you know, much smaller films like, what was it, A Quiet Place or something. There's there's loads of really good movies for different budgets. And the same is true with, with, um, with, uh, with, yeah, ads and videos, but creativity comes from constraint and and good people. So invest in, in good people that you're working with rather than worrying too much about the the specifics of how much you're spending on various production. Um, but you, you know, if you've got the budget, then you should spend as much as you as you're able to do and give that more freedom to the the creators you're working with. But never like you can't solve bad creative instincts with money. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I want to be respectful of your time and and wrap up, but there's one more thing that I want to just quickly dive into with you. You mentioned about the shift in Wistia towards a focus on long form content, both in, in what you're creating, but also in how you're wanting to support users of, of the Wistia platform. So can you expand a little bit more on two things? Um, you know, well, clarify what is long form content from a branded content perspective and also just explain a little bit about the how Wistia and the product that Wistia has that helps businesses who are thinking about long form content. Uh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I would say like I define long form content as basically anything that pe- that people are sort of expected to sit down and watch um, and, and actively choose to spend time with rather than just see in passing as an ad or as a quick little pop-up thing on, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. So it's probably like not, it's not snackable. It's stuff that you sit down and you have for lunch. So it's, it's probably things that are you know, longer than 10, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. It's stuff a bit more like podcasts. So yeah, I would say this is a longer form, certainly a longer form execution of content. You know, we're seeing now for, for half an hour, 45 minutes having a chat. Um, so that kind of model, it might be what we consider longer form content, but it's essentially something that fits more of a, a TV or a filmic um, like execution rather than an advertorial one. Um, and the reason why I think brands should invest in this is because the way to build a brand is to invest in people spending time with you. The more they spend time with you, the more they're actually going to start to build that emotional connection to you. And that's the thing that's going to change their mind about their preference towards you versus your competitors and, and think about you more. You want to be top of mind and to be top of mind, you need people to be spending time with you instead of just trying to be top of mind by um, causing love at first sight, by just getting them to love this amazing ad that you're going to make. That's very, it's possible to do, but it's very, very difficult. Much, much easier is just creating something that people are going to want to spend time with. And that's going to uh, increase that sort of brand affinity. And and that's the thing that's going to really move you forward as you try to grow your business. So um, yeah, you should be investing it for that reason. And how we're changing that product is we have built this, uh, tool called Wistia Channels, which is like you just put an embed code on your website and you've got your own sort of Netflix style experience. You can collect subscribers. You can then automate emails to subscribers when you have a new um, episode that comes out. You can um, build custom audiences that you can integrate with Facebook and Google if you want to kind of send out trailers or clips and things like that. Um, It's got the full like auto... um, also playing next up video and really provides that more kind of immersive experience um, that feels like a, a streaming channel because we think that like in, companies are, are not only going to be more like the 
um, institutions creating the media of the tomorrow. It's also going to be the institutions that create some of the, the best next TV. It'll be very niche TV, very like much more focused than most of the stuff that we consume day to day on, on Netflix and Amazon, et cetera. But this is going to be where we think the next revolution in brand marketing is going to come from. And we want to kind of grow the business by supporting that with the best possible products. So, um, yeah, that's what we've done. I, I think the immediate thing that comes to mind is for most businesses who are embarking on this kind of a content strategy, they would tend to go to, to YouTube. They would think longer form content, you know, attracting subscribers, people coming back to watch, you know, on a regular basis, that would tend to be the realm of YouTube. So why would you recommend or when would you recommend people, you know, consider something like Wistia Channels over YouTube? Yeah, so, so there's two two parts of this that I think um, mean you need to use YouTube slightly differently. So YouTube's obviously great because of the reach that it can provide, um, but it's also bad because of the distraction it can provide. And what you often find is that when mm. your content's on YouTube, people will watch a bit of it, and then there'll be an ad that pops up, and there'll be something else in the sidebar. They get distracted really quickly. So if you're trying to get people to watch stuff and really engage and, and become you know part of a brand advocate of yours, then you kind of need them not to do that. Um, so what we recommend and what I think is a much more effective YouTube strategy is to basically copy exactly what all the big media companies out there do. So all of Netflix, Amazon, which is use YouTube uh, to distribute clips and trailers. So like chop up all this content that you've made and have little small snippets that are much more optimized for the YouTube platform where the fact that people are going to get distracted off 10 minutes is not such a big deal. Um, you can be better keyword optimized with clips. You can kind of tweak them. So it's going to, rather than no one's searching for, you know, my business series episode one, but they might be searching for a certain key term that I can then optimize for with a clip and a, a trailer and all that kind of thing. So use YouTube for this like shorter form, um, chopped up, um, uh, elements of the content, same with Facebook, same with Instagram and Twitter, and then try and drive people from there back to a platform that you own, which is the kind of thing we've built with Wistia channels. And another reason why you want to do that and not just drive them to, to YouTube is because on YouTube, when someone subscribes, they subscribe to your YouTube channel and you can't, you have no control of this. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're doing. You can't mm -hmm. speak to them. When they subscribe via Wistia or something similar, you get the email address. You can then integrate them with your CRM. You can track them. You can nurture them. You can do all these sorts of things. So it's about ensuring that you get the value rather than Google getting the value from all this great content that you've created. And also ensuring that you can still benefit from the, the reach and the opportunities that are provided by YouTube. Um, so that is ultimately the, the combination there that I think is going to provide the most value. Yeah, I love it. Well said. It's all about owning owning your audience, right? Not giving them to to YouTube and exactly. and Google, and, and, and leveraging seen, those channels. Yeah. Exactly. And we've seen recently that you know YouTube has made a lot of changes that have upset some creators, and you just don't want to build your house on someone else's land because they're going to change stuff every five minutes, and and soon your your whole strategy is going to be scuppered because you didn't control any of it. So. Um, the the yeah. two things I think you should always do if you can in marketing is number one, get someone's email address. And number two, like drive the traffic back to your website because that's where you're going to provide the better experience, where the more clear to convert. If you're trying to do everything on someone else's platform, it, it's a losing game. Um, so I, I think it's much better to try and own your audience as you aptly put it. Fantastic. Excellent. Phil, this has been, this has been excellent. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and, and I'm sure our listeners have too. So 
Before you go, can you let people know where they can follow you further, learn more from you, um, maybe jump in on some of the Wistia products that yeah, that we mentioned today? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm on Twitter at Phil Nottingham. Um, and yeah, go check out wistia.com um, and you can try out all the products for free. You can watch all our shows. You can have a look through everything. And if you want to send me an email, it's just phil at wistia.com. Awesome. Phil Nottingham, thanks for joining me on the show. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you very much. All right, how good was that? Thanks again to Phil Nottingham for joining me here on episode 135 of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast. And to find the links to everything that we mentioned, including links to the 110-100 experiment that Wistia conducted that we talked about at the end of the show there, head on over to engagevideomarketing.com slash episode 135 and you'll get everything that you need there. So let me know, did you enjoy today's show? I'd love to hear from you. In fact, if you haven't yet left a rating and a review, and I know that you're out there because I know that there are many of you guys who are subscribed to this show and listen each and every week who haven't yet left a rating and a review. Seriously? I would seriously appreciate it. If you'd take some time over the next week to make sure that you do that, it really fires me up when I read each and every review. So thank you very much for that. And if you're interested in learning more about the Engage Video Marketing Academy, I encourage you to head on over right now to engagevideomarketingacademy.com to learn more. Thanks again for being one of the Engage Video Marketing community. You guys are awesome. And I trust that this podcast is helping you achieve what you need when it comes to effective video marketing for your brand or your business. So don't be a stranger. Reach out to me anytime at engage underscore Ben, slide on into my Instagram DMs as they say, and join me next week for another episode of the Engage Video Marketing Podcast each and every Tuesday. That's it for me for this episode. Until next week, I'll see you then.